Rethinking healthcare takes more than disruption. It takes more than thought leaders. It takes change makers and doers. That's who we'll be speaking to on the Healthcare Rethink podcast, giving you, our dedicated listeners, a rich body of insights to make your own change. This is the Healthcare Rethink podcast. Hello, I'm Jonathan Wick, and this is the FinThrive Rethink Healthcare podcast. Uh, I'm very excited to be joined today by Kevin Holleran from Fitch Ratings, a wicked brilliant dude that just uh, really enlightens me every time I see his stuff when he's out there and uh, really love his perspective on the not-for-profit sector. He's got a ton of experience from the bench uh, surrounding just what's going on in not-for-profit hospitals and just the space in general. And I always appreciate his understanding of the operations of a hospital being a former chief revenue officer myself. So Kevin, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today. Jonathan, thanks for having me. And uh, those are really kind words. I hope I can live up to it today. So uh, thanks for the intro. <laughs> you bet. I, I think you're going to do just fine. Uh, I like kind of breaking the ice a little bit. You know, where are you from and, and uh, where'd you go to school? And and uh, give us a little perspective about your background. Yeah, sure. So I was, I was born in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, most people don't hear any Southern accent. That's because we immediately moved to, uh, to Nashville. Uh, Chicago, Atlanta, San Antonio, you sort of get the idea. A lot of folks ask me, are you a military family? And, and uh, <laughs> I do so. My, my father was in the Navy. We didn't move around because of military transfers. It was business transfers. So, uh, back gotcha. in the time, my father was in healthcare IT long okay. before Cerner and Epic sort of took over the world. And when they land a big contract, we'd up and move and go to that place in that hospital. And I tell people. Literally, I've been talking about healthcare here, about healthcare on the kitchen table for my entire life. So, uh, not uh, not surprising, I ended up in the field. In, in terms of school, I uh, I watched a lot of college football. I went to undergraduate at the University of Notre Dame, and I nice. uh, got my my MHA from University of Michigan. So, uh, like I say, there's always something good on Saturday. Those are good football teams to root for. Yeah, my dad was a hospital CEO. Uh, in the 80s, and uh, that meant that you pretty much didn't live anywhere for longer than 18 months. <laughs> you make it, you make it tracks, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, it was great. Uh, and you're, and you're in. Are you in Texas now? Is that right? I live in Texas now. I'm up in the Dallas area. Yeah, I am. Cool. Uh, a lot of people get email from me. It says Austin, so I'm I'm housed out of the Austin office, but I actually live up here in the Dallas. That's awesome. Uh, you know, talk talk through your your kind of backbone that you're where you earned your stripes there at at ENY and, and S&P, and I think now you're at Fitch, so just help, help our listeners understand some of that. Yeah, I always like to call out, uh, I really got my start in health here, if you will, at Henry Ford Health System, now know called nice. Henry Ford nice Health. Uh, I owe a lot to the uh, the people there, my mentors, uh, Jim Blazer being one of them, I always like to shout out, say I owe a lot to that organization and to a lot of people there. Uh, after I did that, uh, I ended up in healthcare consulting for six, seven years. And, uh, with E&Y, later Cap Gemini, and uh, it's changed a few times, I think. Um, and I left that uh, when my oldest daughter was born. So I've been doing the bond rating thing for uh, right around 20 years or so, uh, because my oldest is right around 20 years. Uh, I spent about 14, 15 years at S&P, made the shift over to uh, to Fitch about five, six years ago, and uh, I had up a group here, very proud to do that. And uh, so I've been rating a lot of bonds for the last as I said, <laughs> but you have Henry Ford, great system. Um, I quote them in my book um, as one of the innovative kind of funding systems too. They were one of the first out there to kind of pioneer direct to provider contracting and 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 really um, help the employers in their community and and just done a great job. That system is doing very well too, which is 
a testament to their leadership and and probably some of the things you left there. Uh, books, what are you reading? What's uh, what do you what do you when you get up in the morning, you have coffee? What do you what are you looking at? And what what are some fun books that you read as well? I try to keep one workbook on my bedside and one fun book. So the workbook, uh, you, you've probably uh, read it yourself. It's a it's a leadership book called Everyday Leadership by a friend yep. of mine named Brian Umell. Uh, yep. I finished Oops, that. Just a, yeah, I finished that a couple of days ago. And then my guilty pleasure. Uh, look, I'm a, I was a child of the '80s, so I love the uh, the Irish rock band U2 and their lead singer Bono did a memoir called Surrender. And uh, I'm about two thirds through that right now, and kind of having fun before we list so that's what's on my uh, night. I need to replenish. It's on my night shelf now. Thank you. you bet. Brian, uh, he was out at Piedmont, if I remember right. Him and I have crossed paths a couple times. And uh, I'm going to see him, I think, out in Atlanta uh, here in a couple couple months at a, out at the HFMA Southeastern Summit. So I'm all, uh, I've given him my book. He hasn't given me his book yet. So <laughs> now that you said you've read it and you enjoy it, um, let me know. So jumping back into it i think what do you do for for fun like what's your what's your vice what's your hobbies you know what do, what do you get out and run or do you you go out and uh, watch football games or what are you into yeah you know my vice i i i, I re-picked it up during covid unfortunately and uh, i'm almost ashamed to admit it but i i picked up cigar smoking again so <laughs> if i if i if i really need some uh some cognitive time i'll go out and smoke uh, smoke a cigar in the back patio or something like that if I'm feeling energetic, uh, I'll, I'll go cycling. And, uh, a while ago, I haven't done it a couple of years since COVID, but I, I've had a minor practitioner of a, of a martial art called uh, Aikido, so the Lama style Aikido. And I teach, uh, teach a fit, teach a lose, but uh, when COVID hit, all this close face-to-face stuff kind of stopped. I haven't really gotten back into it, so I'm, I'm guilty of smoking cigars and not exercising. So uh, I got some work to do. Yeah, I got some work to do. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, well, two things. Uh, I won't mess with you now that I know that you know Aikido. <laughs> two, um, I was in Little Havana over the holiday um, in Florida at a wedding. And, uh, man, they had some nice cigar shops there. And um, it was neat to kind of see, you know, where they were at. I, I'm not a cigar smoker, but I'll have one if someone wants to have one with me. So I, I understand there's nothing like kind of contemplating your day and enjoying a cigar. So yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm cutting way back. So, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Being a healthcare worker, you know what happens long term. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm not a dangerous. This, this wouldn't look pretty. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, let's, let's dive into kind of what you do and, and where you're at. I very interested. I was, um, tooling around doing some research yesterday and I noticed Fitch, I think released, um, some more information on the not-for-profit sector. I'm sure you're, you could probably give us a little bit of highlights on that and just tell us what's going on in there. What are the headwinds and what are some drivers about what's going on? Cause they've had a pretty rough 2022. Yeah, we, we do a couple of, uh, you know, webinars and, and major press releases throughout the year. And, and, uh, you know, one of them is our medians, which we do late summer, early fall. And in the, uh, the time period between shifting in the year, beginning of the year, we do an outlook. So if you're probably thinking of, it, may have heard of our 2023 outlook, uh, most of the rating agencies, you know, we have, we have positive, we have uh, stable, we have negative, but we changed it up just a little bit. So we call it uh, improving, uh, neutral, or deteriorating. If you just want to call it positive, stable, uh, negative, that's perfect and fine with me. Uh, and we did say it's it's deteriorating. I, I often tell people I, I wish it was deteriorated instead of deteriorating, because I really do think 2022 was was really the low point, uh, quite frankly, for the sector. And I should say, look, every time I say a sentence, 
someone will be able to disagree with me. Well, that wasn't for us. That didn't happen to us. But in generalities, I think when you look at 2022, it'll go down as you know, probably the worst year from, a, from an operating standpoint. And our prediction really is 23, while no walk in the park and not going to be easy at all, should be better than 2022. And, you know, what are the headwinds? They're not hiding from us, right? It's labor, labor, labor. What the heck? Throwing one more labor because it's so important. That's what we've been talking about. You know, nine times out of 10, that's the, that's the catalyst for why our operations really in the, in the tanker. The other one, obviously, from an expense pressure is uh, generation inflation. So, I, like I'm in my 50s, I remember some generational inflation. So, it's second time for me. Uh, but for a lot of folks, we haven't seen this in about 40 years, and uh, it's having its impact. I tell people it really pales in significance when it looks at the EPA labor. That's really good. The other one really is volume. So, yeah. we'll talk about that, I'm sure, a little bit today. Um, you know, volumes are completely back, uh, they're, they're back to a large extent near pre-pandemic levels for a lot of people. A lot of it's shifted, you know, inpatient to outpatient. It's fine. I don't really think of that as volumes being down. They just move. I think we're we're a bit obsessed. I think uh what did it look like compared to twenty nineteen? Not sure that's really even germane anymore. It's it's three yeah. years now. Uh life has moved on. We've moved on. It's a different healthcare world. Um but what we see is anytime there's an uptick in this this heavy medical um inpatient load, it, it really does start to play havoc with what you can do from a surgical perspective. You get that medical surgical mix skewed and it doesn't take a loss. You know, maybe 10% of your inflation beds above what's planned um, really starts to, uh, to, to mess with the operations just a little bit and what you can bring in house. Those are probably the biggest key drivers we're watching. We, we do think again, we're making gradual improvement on all of those. I'm not a I'm not a clinician, but uh, I read a lot, uh, and it does look like the RSB is starting to come down. Influenza is starting to come down. COVID, unfortunately, starting to go back up with these in Scrabble variants, as we're calling them, the XBBs, and that's going to keep us a little disjointed for uh, for a period of time until that gets under control as well. So. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, the the latest variant, I love it. They called it the Kraken. You know, which reminds me, of the, <laughs> reminds me of that that old Annie's movie with the owl. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, with Poseidon and stuff. But, you know, I think um, they are saying that one might have some impacts to hospital utilization. I remember, you know, working at the hospital as a chief revenue officer, um, as, as morbid as it sounds, you know, uh, when the parking lot was full or ambulances were going in and out, that was, that's why we were there, right? We wanted to treat patients when the parking lot was empty and there weren't people coming to us, not that we wanted them by ambulance or anything. Um, you know, we don't, hospitals should be sitting around. I mean, they are built to help and care and they're staffed to that volume. And a lot of that, as you know, very well is fixed expenses. They, they don't flex up and down like a lot of other industries. They're a hotel, a restaurant and a doctor's clinic, you know, all rolled into one that rolls 24 seven, very, very difficult to sustain operations with those headwinds. Like you're talking about with labor. And if the volumes aren't there, um, that just you know exacerbates the problem, um, obviously, because you've got you've got um, high expenses and 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 low revenue, and and everyone knows what happens on a balance sheet when those two things are happening at the same time. Absolutely, and I've been saying, and you know, folks been seeing me today, but a lot of times they can't see me out of the pocket. But it's also the right kind of volumes, and I don't necessarily yeah. mean higher mix. Higher mix plays an important aspect of it, but you you want the right mix of medical surgical, and if you're a hospital that's 
got that chassis, if you will, built on heavy surgeries, high acuity, and you're full of medical, that, that ratio just gets disjointed and you're, you're absolutely spot on. 75% of your, your income coming in is at a fixed cost. We were given a fee by Medicare, Medicaid, self-pay, no pay sometimes as they call it. And you know, your expenses, you just got to need it all. And yeah. if, it, if they go up, you take it all in you can't pass it along. I, I kind of joke that, uh, you know, occasionally I get a yard back up my grass and they give me a, a, a gas surcharge of $5 and he's like, two blocks away and what you know we can't <laughs> what's well, not costing him anymore but anyway hospitals just can't pass it along that way it doesn't work like right. other industries that most people are familiar with so it's a very delicate balance a very low margin business to begin with and when just something gets a little out of whack it really has ripple effects uh throughout the entire business set right good point um you mentioned chassis i think that's a good segue into the next question just you know how hospitals are structured and um, we saw them kind of have, I would say, not explosive, but pretty dramatic growth pre-COVID. I think they were having one of their better quarters in probably of the decade right before COVID hit. Um, volumes were up. Towers were getting built. Wings were there. I think their, bow- their borrowing power, the median ratings, I bet, were pretty high as well. They were doing doing, doing good. We are not in that situation now. I, I, I follow Fitch, Standard Poor's, and Moody's and all those and watch the downgrades and um, we saw that happen through COVID for obvious reasons. We're seeing some recovery, as you mentioned, but can you help our listeners kind of understand the relationship between a bond rating, borrowing expense, borrowing power and growth and how those things are related to operations all the way down the line? I think that would be helpful. Sure. So a, a bond rating itself is uh, one of the one of the major bond rating agencies, just our opinion of your ability to repay debt. And the keywords are on time and in full. We usually talk about in full. Uh, and we get down to the on time and you get really low on the rating scale. Can you make your bond payment next month? That sort of thing. I have right. those conversations. They're not fun. Um, a bond rating itself, the higher you rating it, means the lower the risk that we feel is there. You know, generally means that price is better. It means their cost of capital is cheap. And certainly as rates have changed, you know, the delta between a double A, which is an exceptionally good rating, and a triple B, which is not bad, it's still investment rate. Is, is started to widen. So the importance, I think, of ratings has gone up. And look, on a $100 million debt issuance, even a single basis point can make a difference. And if you you're bet. talking about a spread of 30 uh, basis points, maybe between a, a couple of categories, a, a rating means a lot, quite frankly. What are ratings based on? I tell people it's like three legs of the stool. So, you know, who are you and what's your market share? And, you know, are you a price maker or price taker, as they say? Uh, what's your balance sheet look like? Is it strong? Can you repay all of your debt outstanding? Is it, is it got some cushion to it? And then of course your operations. And that's what we've been talking about a lot lately is you know, how, how strong or you know, how weak are the operation. But if you can service your debt you know, multiple times over, that makes you very strong. You put, you know, pluses in all three of those legs of the stool, you're very likely in that uh, high A, double A category. You start chipping away at that or have negatives in all of those uh, three legs of the stool. Then you're down into not investment rate potentially speaking. So it um it pays for those towers that you talk about. It pays for your expansion. It pays for some of your IT things like that. So you want to have strong operations. Your cost of capital is low. Although right now we're going through rate changes, um, yeah. and and as it moves, people tend to sit on the sidelines a little bit and see. Well, where's it going to cap out at? And uh, right. I don't think we're there yet. But I agree. We're, as you know, we're a very capital intensive uh, sector. 
And we can't sit on the sidelines for long. And uh, it reminds me a lot of 2008, 2009. So to your point, John, and you know, leading up to 2008, 2009, yeah, there was a, it was a boom town for hospitals doing very, very well. A lot of debt issues, a lot of expansion. Then all slammed to a halt for about two or three years. We built that back up and slammed to a halt again. And then so yeah, we sort of get through what this new normal is with the economy, with COVID, with operations, everything that we've been talking. Great. Uh, I, I like that, you know, understanding. I think that I, I explain that a lot of my work now. I explain it to my team at the hospital as well. It's like, you know, what, what does this mean? And I go, it's just like your credit credit card and just like mortgages and um, or, you know, going to purchase a cards. Absolutely. Hospitals have credit ratings just like anybody else. And, uh, and, and, and it matters that, that percent point matters because they're borrowing, you know, tens of millions, some of them are hundreds of millions of dollars, as you mentioned. Since we're talking about dollars, I'd love to get your perspective on CFOs. You could put your CFO hat on. Uh, they seem a little stressed lately. <laughs> so um, what advice do you have kind of for the hospital CFO now, you know, given the market that we're in and, it sounds like there might be some bright spots in 2023 as we maybe come out of what happened in 2022, but what should a CFO be thinking about over the next two or three quarters? Yeah, it's never an easy day to be a CFO, even when it's good. Uh, I, so we never give direct advice. I sort of give what I call platitudes. Uh, you know, platitude you number one, don't manage to a rating. Um, yeah. I, I, I've heard that in meetings. We'd like to do this, but I don't want to jeopardize my whatever rating, so I'm not going to hey. do that. And that's very short-term thinking, quite frankly. You, you likely, you know your organization better than I do. I do my best to understand who you are, analyst. I try really hard. I study it. But you walk the walk. You're in the boots. Uh, you, you know it far better than I ever will. If it's the right move to make and it does jeopardize your rating, better for that short-term pain so you don't regret it five years from now, ten years from now. Well, wow, I really wish I had done that expansion or that install or that merge. I think the other one is um, embrace change. And some people have heard me speak before. I often bring up the Kodak story. It was well known and well documented. When I was a kid, you know, Kodak was the number one brand that was out there, one of the the biggest and best companies to work for. And and people probably know the original, if you will, mission of Kodak was the preservation of memory. It's very simple. A lot of people maybe don't know, but probably do, um, that Kodak actually developed digital cameras. And uh, they scrapped the idea because they were very much caught up in a, well, we're a paper and chemical company now. That's what yeah. we do. And so, you know, the lesson is, right, embrace the change. And even as, you know, one piece of your business might be kind of going down, the other one's going to expand. So embrace your mission, embrace the change. A rough corollary to healthcare, not as good as the Kodak one, would be we're, we're very wrapped up in inflation. You know, we love our bricks and mortars. There's a lot of dollars yeah. tied up with them. There's a lot of uh, interest in them, so to speak. And yet everything's moving outpatient. So look, if your service area and your mission, your your demographics say, hey, build the inpatient, get rid of the outpatient, you really need to look at that and say, do I need to embrace this? Like a hard look at it, not be too wedded to one. Uh, I think the last one, look, when we'll talk about this, I'm sure, is, you know, what do we do about labor? And uh, yeah. I, I tell people, look, there's, there's short-term strategies, which we've all been doing, recruiting, retention, international nurses, we'll call it nurses, but it's all sorts of labor, really. Uh, there's medium-term fixes as well, too, and that has to do with looking on your payers and seeing if they can't so bump up the, the payment rates, having those hard negotiations. But 
when I really sit down and again, have that cigar and think about life a little bit, you know, I, I think we just need some transformational differentials here. Um, we love incremental change in the healthcare space, uh, and what we knew this transformational change, not easy to do, not easy to convince maybe your boards to do, and certainly not easy to implement. But I think we have to sit down and, and sort of, you know, let's, let's take this, put it to the side. If I could do it again today, what would it look like? And start thinking transformation. So I, I say embrace that, uh, you know, what do we call it? Graduates will be had that big area of anxious goal. Really, yep, really go after those change. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, transformation. I love that. It's a good segue too. And kind of the next subject I want to dive into is just, you know, how should, or how do you see like health systems transforming, you know, over the next decade, we saw a lot of M&A activity before COVID. Um, I think it kind of hunkered down during it and everything I'm seeing, I don't know what you're seeing is saying that's going to uptick again. Um, but I, you know, I think it's this big fish gobbling little fish and that debt's got to be spread out. I talked to a lot of CFOs that are positioning themselves, not for purchase, but certainly partnerships, I would call it, um, to, to kind of spread the the risk and also, you know, gain market to where they're, they're a little bit more solid at when, when, uh, you know, the footing starts to become a little bit unstable, like it did through COVID. Give us some thoughts on M&A and, and transformational medicine a little. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there's an old joke that everybody's talking to everybody about everything. And, and I think that's <laughs> true. And when we go out, everybody is talking to everybody. I would say there's been some changes. You're right. In the last hunker down is a good way to look at the last couple of three years. Um, first of all, it's just a it's crazy time, right? We don't know what's happening. We've never lived through a pandemic and we're getting our hands around that. And there is a bit of a regulatory pushback right now. I'm not saying it's good, right. it's bad. It just is what it is. Uh, so yeah, everybody's talking to everybody. We expect it'll pick up, but I, I do agree with you that the big will continue to gobble the small. That's going to happen largely unabated. It doesn't get on any kind of regulatory or AG sort of uh, radars. It's where you get sizable to sizable. And I, I think maybe the, the differential that we're seeing today is if you're going to get gobbled up or you want to get gobbled up, maybe is the best way. You need to bring something to the table. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it used to be uh, that small standalone hospital. I, I fought the good fight, but I finally got a partner up with someone. You know, they'd make five phone calls, you know, to the four profits, the big academic, other systems in the area, and they'd, they'd get the five offers in and they kind of take the best one that fits them. Now you have to bring something to that mix. And, and maybe hey. it's a geography. I think that's probably the predominant one. Maybe yeah. it's a skill set. Wow, you really do great uh, physician uh, management and we don't for you got a health plan and we don't. We want to put those things together. And if you're not bringing something to the table, you know, the number of return phone calls are, are starting to turn down and the deals are a little less tasty, so to speak. But I think maybe the most interesting thing that's taking place right now, again, with, with kind of the, the political zeitgeist that's on here, is we're not really seeing, you know, inter-market uh, mergers. And really the big one that we've seen lately is, is the atrium advocate. Merger with Spencer House Advocate Helper out of different markets or six, seven hundred miles apart. There's no, you know, what we call natural synergies there. I can't really consolidate programs, close hospitals, whatever the case may be. But I think again, if you talk to the different parties, now one one party, but they say, we're not doing it for financial reasons. We're doing it for altruistic reasons, for solving a lot of the problems in healthcare um, that we've all seen and faced and struggled with over decades. Now, I think that really gets into that transformation that B hack. They're trying to do things that haven't been tackled 
and solve for appropriately. I think we'll see more of that. That's a fascinating one to watch where from the outside to see, does that, does that spur more or is it a one and done? I, I think personally we'll see a lot more of those. Uh, and again, I think we'll see a lot of the, the big scalping. What, what gets interesting, I tell people, is when you have a market, I, I, I live in Dallas, but a lot of markets are like Dallas where you have basically about four players with about 25% of the market each. And that next step is huge because if, you know, one in three merge, they're 50% of the market. Yeah. Uh, and by gosh, if that happens, two and four are going to merge just to keep top parity. And so I think markets have a natural evolution up to about four or five large players. And then they sit still for a while. And then the next move, it goes boom, boom. You see it happen very quickly. So a lot of markets have matured to that level. And I think, uh, I don't know, we'll, we'll, we'll see more markets get to that point. And then we'll see what happens when we go forward because those are inter-markets. Uh, there is some pushback right now, uh, but that is where a lot of the savings are that we're trying to tweak out of the system. But... Good. Yeah, speaking of gobbling, we haven't talked about the pairs much, so probably good to talk about what's going on there. Uh, I've watched that relationship. I don't think it's ever been wonderful. Um, I've seen some innovations uh, where, especially the hospitals that are running their own health, health plan, I call them like payviders, they... They understand, you know, where they're at, especially with their Medicaid population. Um, they're working maybe on paper performance, some engaged ACOs. Uh, I talked to Brooke Ward uh, at Washington Health, and, and they're doing some really innovative things out there in the Midwest. But, you know, what do you see happening with the pairs? I think we're down for a showdown this year, just given where hospitals are at and margins with pairs don't really want to slip. I, I think we're pretty far apart, but but help help me understand that. Yeah, we are far apart. So I, I referenced earlier, and I know everybody knows that uh, again, your 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 payers basically is it's a fixed number that comes in from the vast majority of payers, and that that small sliver, twenty five, thirty, if you're lucky, thirty five or forty percent from commercial payers, that's negotiable. Even those are locked in sometimes to multi year contract. So on any given day, you know how much can you increase your revenues just by charging more, having a different price, is exceptionally limited. Right now, with so much of your expense base on where its items are extreme duress, and it's still going to be bad, you know, you naturally look to the payer and say, hey, can you help us out a little bit? And we've heard stories plenty of times where providers are walking in the door and say, it's time to renegotiate, and, you know, we want 15% or 20%. And sometimes that's a, a tactical decision where you have I mean, you kind of get your foot in the door and you work your way down, but we're hearing, Hey, I went in for 15% and they came out with negative 5% as the opening salvo. That's uh, that's a lot of space in between. It's probably going to end in divorce as they say. <laughs> so I do expect um, payer negotiations to be extremely contentious. I do expect to see people exiting markets, playing hardball, so to speak. And then I always get asked the question, well, what does that mean for operations? Well, it's not good for operations, but you hope it's a temporary thing and all multi-year sort of exit, so to speak. And that you meet somewhere in the middle. Again, our best data is showing that we are meeting in the middle. Maybe on the low end, if I'm a provider, probably at the high end, if I'm a payer, but somewhere just below that inflationary number, 6%, 7%, that's a pretty good top of place. All right, I can't get all of it back in one fell swoop. Maybe I can negotiate another contracting period instead of three years every other year or every year and slowly chip away at that you know when when covid first hit and, and we didn't know what it was and we saw the well, operations get dislocated there was a little bit of a 
that were falling, I think, in the relationship. You actually heard some people, you know, actively talking about the payers maybe coming to the rescue. You know, we're, we're, we're making lots of money right now because no services are being delivered, yet we're still collecting our monthly dues, so to speak. Maybe we can help you out. And, and then, look, CARES came around and 2021 came around, volumes came back, and that talk just went away. Very contentious uh, negotiations, and I, I expect, again, a bumpy road over the next couple of years. And you, know, you haven't asked the question, but it's the same real thing when it comes to, to labor. Uh, yeah, so yeah. that's another sort of thing that's locked in, so to speak, for, for multiple years. Uh, those that were locked in at lower rates during the worst of COVID in the early years were, were more favorable than those that negotiate out on the open market every day. That's come full circle, and we're seeing a lot of these negotiations being very contentious, uh, very high rates out of California. You know, we've heard 15% up to 20% bumps uh, and. We are all seeing what's going on currently in uh, in New York uh, and, and striking is going on. Yeah. And I expect those two dynamics, the payer and the, the, the union uh, labor negotiations, to be contentious, to be bulky, to be expensive. And we'll see some resetting at that stage of the game and, and go from there. But um, you know, don't take your eye off the ball. And it's every day. I think you get to turn the news on and say, What's today? What's the new reset level? Is it 15% rate increases across the board or is it 5% rate increases across the board? Because what first person blinks and that becomes the, the de facto level. Then everybody says, well, that's what we did here. So that's what I want going forward. It, it quickly becomes a, a level playing field uh, from that perspective. And I, I think we're just about to get there, but quite way through the whole story. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think too, another interesting thing that happened with payers, you mentioned them coming to the rescue they didn't (laughs) (laughs) but i i think the other thing that happened too is that they experienced you know their mlrs dipping quite a bit and then they 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 had kind of to scramble so you've seen them invest in areas that they traditionally haven't which which might end end be good um when i'm seeing them now what i've heard now and why i think they might even be further apart is um i used to work for a payer too you know you can only make up money at a payer given the line they have the same line of business shifts as well. They're right. they're having a shave off of their employer sponsored insurance. They're seeing lots of things going to Medicare and Medicare if they don't operate a Medicare Advantage plan. Um, they're seeing kind of some of their premium um uh, get shaved away also. So they're you know taking some of that out and and you don't have to agree to this. I I'll, I'll take the heat of it, but they're taking some of that out on the providers. I think in utilization they're starting to turn the heat up a little bit because. The only way payers really can remain at the same profit level is either getting more members or paying less claims, right? Because it's it's, right. it's a very simple math problem. And I'm seeing denials double in some areas and the write-offs. I'm seeing a utilization review on inpatient opt and those things, the administrative burden kind of grow a little bit. I think that's that's going to stay. I, I think the labor thing might, might wane a little bit, but I'm really nervous for hospitals surrounding the relationship with the payer, if they're going to be asking for rates, um, you know, they're, 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 they're on their heels with this kind of, you know, you've denied 10% of my claims last year and I want 5% more. Now they've got that two things they're asking for. It makes it harder. What are your thoughts there? Yeah. You know, so it's a different sector, so I don't really follow it, but anecdotally, yeah. we've heard the same thing. Look, yeah. uh, Kevin, as a provider speaking, if I could just get paid what I'm owed, Right. We would be, you know, in a markedly different place right now, but we feel like they're fighting denials on, on everything. 
penicillin. What's the diet? You know, that, that sort of a thing. <laughs> and, and, you know, and yet I am always a glass half full guy. And, and yeah, so I, yeah. I, I look at these things and I say, let's well, your point. Payers, providers, they do have a symbiotic relationship. You bet. Uh, I need to put my patients somewhere. You need the patients. We need to get paid for them. I mean, they at some point have to buy the common ground. Agreed. I, I've always been of the opinion that when you're just arguing about numbers, so to speak, you will eventually find the common ground. You're arguing about philosophical differences. Well, those when people dig your heels in and they have a you know root cause differentials. But if it's you know seven percent, ten percent, you'll figure it out. It's seven percent, it's ten percent, or it's somewhere in between. But you'll come to some agreement because at the end of the day, you really sort of have to, quite frankly. You bet. Like I say, you know, hospitals. We talk about the staffing shortage. It, it, it's hit everybody, and so yeah, I'm again. I don't work right. for bread. I don't study the payers, but I'm sure that they have staffing issues as well too. And maybe one thing that is, let's just deny everything because we don't have time to process all the bills. All right, who knows? <laughs> longer to look at it. Yeah, yeah. We, we need more time to process everything through. So I, right. I'm not casting yeah, like, any stones yeah. at them. I'm sure they're doing what they've got to do. <laughs> But at the end of the day, I do think there's a, there's a mutual relationship, a symbiotic relationship. They will find some common ground. But lucky it won't be without somebody taking a pound of flesh here or there. So it, uh, it will be then very bumpy, very yeah. so just fold, fold through. Yeah, I agree. I, I think, you know, I always say when I start hearing that, it does become kind of more personal or emotional versus factual in the conversation. And I start having conversations about, you know, imagine a world without pairs to where we didn't have you know, a negotiating party for employers and for, you know, to kind of keep providers in check a little bit to where you can't have this utilization price. And you're seeing, you know, government regulation kind of come in because of some of that because the payers have kind of thrown their hands up. Look, I can either not pay it or, you know, I've tried to keep capped on this, but I, I you know, I keep getting rate increases every year exponentially and 8% across the board price increases. I'm not sure what we can do. So I, I think we'll see, some of it, there's some active lawsuits with with the No Surprises Act and 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 some of the you know independent dispute resolution stuff uh, that that seems to be playing tennis between HHS and your state. <laughs> Grants a little bit, we end up. And you also have, I think, you know, a, a dialogue that that's it's not going on. It will go on. It certainly is in some states. About that, we readdress this. Do we need some sort of national health care? Yeah. And I, I think, uh, yeah, I've been doing this now quite, quite a bit of years. And, uh, I think we're closer now to having that open dialogue and discussion, uh, than we have in, in several years now. I know the state of Oregon's passed a, a bill saying, you know, healthcare is a right. Uh, and I think they're beginning to set the stage to, to really, again, try to expand, explore, try different models again, sort of, sort of let's scramble some eggs, let's break some eggs, try something different. Right see if it works and um you know maybe it does maybe it doesn't but let's have that dialogue is there a better way uh yeah. so that we can expand that access i don't like get on my soapbox but you can run all the numbers and say where do we stand compared to other countries and things like that and we don't look good right i don't want to go there but uh you have to start asking those questions and i think at the end this is the environment yeah i think they're good questions to ask my book talks about you know doing your homework i think um, you know, politics aside, um, countries that have done um, universal health care and other things have different tax structures in the United States. We're a very capitalistic, um, tax sensitive, I would argue, country. And well, whether you're red, blue, purple, orange, <laughs> it just depends on, on where you're at. And that funding is there. And I think the programs that work, I think the benefit exchange plans have demonstrated that. I think Director of employer contracts like Henry Ford has demonstrated that 
Um, Walmart's a good model. I love hearing from them about how they've kind of benchmarked the country and are are sending people to where there's good outcomes, good costs, good reimbursement, good fares, right. those types of things. We do have to crack some eggs and make some omelets and healthcare, I think, to kind of fix it a little bit. And and uh, I, I'm not so sure it's just let's give everybody coverage because that's not really fixing the fundamental issue of quality outcomes and cost, right? And we've got to kind of look at that triple aim um, as we move forward. And as much as the government would like to tell us that that's what they're going to work on, they typically deliver 10 to 20% of what they say. <laughs> but I'm saying so we'll see. It's easy to say, very hard to do because you're right. Yeah. It, 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 it intertwines the very fabric of what we've all known for our entire lives. Changing that and see, you know, uh, redirecting a, a worship. It, it takes, it takes miles to do that. So it's not going to happen. You bet. I'm going to close this out here in a minute. I just, what advice do you have, you know, for health systems, CFOs, um, you know, even the HIT sector that I'm in now, I've worked in all three payer hospital and, and IT, but you know, what, what, what do you, what do you, what do you, you talked about embracing the change, maybe expand yeah. on that a little bit as we close out this podcast, just what, what would you leave with us that, that you think the market should really look at as we go forward? Sure. I, I think right now it's two things. You know, one is we're, we're so very focused on what's right in front of us, which is yeah. again, the operations and the labor and the inflation. And don't let that become all consuming. So I, like I tell people, as, as much as I want to hear about how you're going to fix it, quite frankly, the story that we've lost is, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? What's the strategy? That's more important now that it's epo totally. you know, because we, we we, we're going to get through this. It's not going to last forever. And so what do you want to be when you grow up? What's that next step? And I, I think we're also filled right now with a little bit of, uh, a rewind to have those no regret strategies. Maybe I don't know exactly how to do this whole thing, but I do know that, you know, focusing on operations is a good thing. I do know, you know, war chest balance sheets a good thing for these hiccups in the row. I know break relations with my doctors are a good thing. Break relations yep. with my payers are a good thing. So, you know, focus on those no regret strategies, uh, but, but don't, don't ignore that long ball. So this week, I, I was talking with someone the other day, I got a for the first time in three years, I got an actual multi-year forecast. And it was like, wow, what a breath of fresh <laughs> yeah. air. And uh, it was a 10-year forecast. I'm like, I don't, wow. I, haven't seen, I haven't seen one of those in you know, five years to begin with, but nothing more than like next month uh, during COVID. So I think we're beginning to slowly get back to that. And I think, again, you got to keep focused on, focus on the horizon as well, as much as you sort of take care of day-to-day business. You bet. Kevin, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, you know, wealth of knowledge. I, I got to get you back. I think... Um, uh, listeners will agree. You just, you just know the industry so well. And, um, it's just fun having a dialogue with you and, 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 uh, maybe we'll talk about how, how much better we're doing, you know, in the summer or something <laughs> as we move forward. Um, again, I'm Jonathan Wick. Uh, this is the FinThrive Rethink podcast. Kevin Haller in today. Kevin, thanks for your time. Thanks, Jonathan. Pleasure to be here. Happy to come back anytime. Appreciate it. Bet. Have a great week. Me too.